and welcome to Movie Culture! Today, after a little bit of a hiatus, we are talking about Onward. Onward was released in 2020 and is Pixar's 22nd feature film. The movie was written and directed by Dan Scanlon. If you have not seen this movie, here is a quick synopsis. And if you have seen it, we will put timestamps in the show notes so you can skip to the discussion. Onward is set in a suburban fantasy world where elves, centaurs, and other mythic creatures live modern lives after technology supplanted magic. For his 16th birthday, Ian Lightfoot receives a magical staff that his father had packed away for him before his death, and a letter describing a visitation spell that could bring his father back for one day. Ian, learning that he has the magical gift, begins to cast the spell and brings his father back, but only from the waist down. Ian and his older brother Barley begin a quest to find the rare phoenix gem that can finish the spell and let the brothers spend one final day with their father. The quest brings them face to face with a manticore, a pixie biker game, and centaur cops, and along the way Ian learns to harness his magic and trust his brother's unconventional ideas. The brothers grow along the quest, but time ticks away to complete the spell before their father vanishes forever. At the end of the quest, Barley finds the gem and Ian completes the spell with only minutes to spare, but the gem triggers a stone dragon who attacks. Ian and Barley understand that one of them needs to stop the dragon, and only one of them will have time with their father. Ian sacrifices meeting his father to give Barley a chance to say a final goodbye, and after slaying the dragon, he watches his father dissipate from the rubble. Afterwards, Barley tells Ian that their father is proud of him, and the brothers share a hug. Wow, okay, I really liked this. Hey, this movie is so good. It's really good. (laughs) It's so good. Oh my God. Okay. Why are people not talking about this movie more? Why is this not like Pixar Pantheon? I don't understand. What do people want from this movie? What do people want from movies? What, (laughs) what is out there? You crowd, you, the audience. (laughs) I'm asking you, the listener, what did you want in a movie? If not this exactly this that's a good question because i i feel like we'll get into why more people aren't talking about it because i think there are actual reasons but even the people that i did see talking about it i felt like they were like meh just such a meh movie those people are incredibly (laughs) wrong i don't mean to do the like i laughed i cried i loved it but i did laugh i did almost cry which for me is like crying I, you actually cried a lot okay, <laughs> the first that, time we saw that it that is true <laughs> i did i cried in this movie i feel like sure this movie might be very specifically for me and we can talk about that a little bit later but like it is a thrilling adventure it's fantasy it's fun it's a coming of age story it's a quest story and it's a story about family and togetherness and belief and it is really serious and has a really deeply emotional ending look there are some movies that have great plots but no characters and there are some movies that have great characters but no emotions there are some movies that have great emotions 
but are not crafted well or paced well. This movie has everything. And truly, truly, I don't understand why people don't adore this movie. It also has the ability to reach across many, many age groups. I mean, we were both crying in the theater, and this is my favorite movie-going experience ever because when the credits rolled, I heard this sniffling noise next to me. The boy! (laughs) And I looked over. Josh is crying on one side, and then I looked over to my other side, and there's this little boy. He's probably like eight. My boy! He's just crying so hard. He's so moved that he has to take off his glasses and use both hands to wipe his tears. And Full hands. We were just like, yeah, same, kid. Oh, <laughs> same. my God. And listen, because we're talking about it coming out in theaters and this movie did come out in 2020, I do think that maybe... That is the reason why this movie sort of disappeared. This movie came out in early March 2020. We saw it in movie theaters, and a week later, the Mm -hmm. world shut down. And I do think that when we're talking about the popularity of this movie, that's kind of part of it. Streaming services were not really up and running yet. It was a little bit difficult. I think that this movie just got lost in the shuffle in a very, very busy time. And I also think that Maybe this movie really appeals to specifically like older brothers in their mid 20s. And we'll talk a little bit more about why. But like, man, this movie's so good. I'm so hyped. <laughs> I loved watching it the first time. I was worried that when we rewatched it, you know, some of the shine would be off a little bit. Nope. It's awesome. And I'm really <laughs> excited to talk about it right now. Me too. Okay. So, Tay, let's get into specifics. What is something you really liked about this movie? I really like Barley. Barley! As a character. First of all, the the surface level characterization. I love that he's Mm -hmm. really big and looks really metal and tough. Mm -hmm. And he is just a huge nerd and he loves history and D&D. It's delightful. I love the way in this movie that they merge D&D and fantasy with history because Mm -hmm. in a fantasy world fantasy is history so barley both is like playing D and has his you know his version of D all lined up and the little figurines and all that but also he's like chaining himself to historic monuments and he's very into historic preservation it's great characterization it is and also on a deeper level i love that he is so invested in this fantasy world and he wants so badly to be a wizard but when he finds out that ian is a wizard he doesn't feel any jealousy or resentment towards ian not for a second and that's what you would expect based on what they've built up about barley and how he always imagines himself as a wizard and he Mm -hmm. wants that so badly and we're used to seeing these sibling rivalry stories But when he finds that out that Ian has this magic, he's just so filled with joy for his brother. And it's really, it speaks so much to this character. Barley, and I don't think I'm exaggerating, I think Barley is the most supportive character I've ever seen in any media. Yeah, and it's it feels really genuine. It feels like he is kind of this remarkable person Mm -hmm. that just feels joy at other people's success and strength. Oh my God, so much. But he's not inhuman. He still has moments in the movie where he feels angry and he feels hurt and Mm -hmm. there's strain on the relationship. 
And he's so supportive of Ian, but he still wants Ian to respect him and understand him and appreciate him. And we're getting, this is way ahead of where we're going, but when you get to the very end of the movie and Ian and Barley do finally bring their dad back just for one minute, right? Just for seconds. And and one of them has to go off and sacrifice not themselves, but their time with their father. Barley doesn't blink. He's just like, I'll go, mm-hmm. right? And because Barley is not our main character, Ian is our main character, and Ian ends up saying, no, I'll go, and, and taking that sacrifice. But again, Barley is willing to over and over at no point put himself over Ian just always supportive and always truly you know from his own soul just doing the things that the people around him want and need and it is he's a he's an incredible character yeah older brothers rule older siblings thank you very older much older siblings rule great <laughs> note great note called in thank you what about you what else did you like uh, I liked so much about this movie, but the thing that stands out more than anything else is the world building. We talked about this a bunch at the beginning of the podcast, about this magical Pixar world building. I remember talking about it in Bugs Life, when you're thinking about from a bug's perspective and size, what do things mean? You know, them drinking a drop of water and using a matchbox or a tin can or something. Finding Nemo is the same way, right? How do things like a coral reef look to fish, right? How do things like a boat look? Uh, What are fish tanks like? All that stuff. The world is built off of the characters. This is a trademark of early Pixar. And it's something that they have done recently, although to a less striking degree. The world building in this movie is incredible. I think it, it goes back to this fundamental early Pixar days, if not eclipses it. And I think it does it from a few different perspectives. I think it does it in a lot of ways. The first is just in the general urbanism of this movie, right? This movie is a suburban fantasy. They are in the suburbs. They drive through the city. They drive on the freeway. And you see this world that is very much our world, but also very much not our world. Because it is what technology would lead the world to look like if it came from this different place, right? So the houses don't look like our houses. They look like mushroom houses and fantasy houses, but they are still, of course, our houses and they have refrigerators and tables and all that stuff. And the doors in the houses are, you know, they're regular doors, but also they're kind of crafted in ways that look more fantasy, more medieval. The way the whole world is laid out, the streets are laid out, the cars are laid out, the schools are laid out, all of that stuff, is based in this very specific fantasy aesthetic. And I love the way that that built itself into the into the built environment. Specifically, I think the best example of where the premise pays off in the world building is at the Manticore's Tavern. Because you hear about the Manticore's Tavern as, you know, this famed castle where the Manticore lives and the heroes try and get stuff for their quests. And then you go in And it's like a fantasy-themed, you know, Renaissance Fair-esque restaurant where there are people in costumes and, you know, lots of waiters saying, my lord and my lady and stuff like that. And the manticore is, you know, a hostess 
that is overworked and not the monster of yore, even though it's still within this castle, right? Everything's been cartoonified. Even her quest map has been turned into a kid's activity sheet with a little exactly. decoder puzzle. And I just love the way that the fundamental premise of this movie, right? A modern fantasy world with our technology, how that takes something like the Manticore Tavern and turns it into a themed restaurant. I think that happens a number of times through the movie. That's, to me, the very best example. But, man, I just thought that the world building of this movie is so immersive. I just, I felt in it immediately. It was great. I agree with you. I thought that it was so much fun to be in this world. Mm -hmm. I think talking about why people responded so lukewarm and kind of anti on this movie. I, I think, can't believe it. I think the world building is part of it. I think the fact that this setting is this animated fantasy setting really turned adults off. I think when people saw this, they felt like it was very, quote, Disney instead of Pixar. Mm. And so they expected a much lighter movie without the same kind of emotional depth. You think people prepared themselves for that and because of that, they didn't let themselves go into it maybe openly or have sort of a full experience. Maybe. I mean, I, I do feel when the trailer came out, I know that a lot of the response was, oh, why is Pixar going in this direction? This is Disney domain. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. And I do think that brings up an interesting conversation about what people think about Pixar, what they're expecting to get from Pixar. And it feels like as Pixar's audience has aged, because that's something that has mm -hmm. inevitably happened, right? Toy Story came out 25 years ago, 27 years ago or something. Now, what we now know about Toy Story from what we have seen and watched in all of these early movies is that they are both very fun, but also have thematic resonance. That is especially true in movies like Finding Nemo and Monsters, Inc., which are both absolute fun and also really serious thematic family stories about the relationships between parents and children. It feels like as we have moved on, there is an assessment, a public assessment of Pixar that leans towards the ups and the wallies and the inside outs and the souls, which we'll talk about next week, which are all on face value very existential movies, right? They all cast themselves as being very serious. And, you know, they are about serious things, things like life and death and the basis of human psychology and emotion and what is a fulfilling life? What is humanity? All of these questions are things that various Pixar creatives are interested in asking. Shout out, Pete Doctor. Shout out. <laughs> but as we have been watching through these movies, they also have this fun aspect and they all balance. This is what Pixar does so well mm -hmm. is they balance the fun with the existential. And just because when you were a kid, you noticed the fun and now you watch these movies and you notice the existential, you notice the thematic and you notice the fun less doesn't mean that Pixar isn't making very, very fun movies. These movies are all very, very fun. And Onward is fun forward, mm -hmm. right? It takes its seriousness, its family emotional aspect, and puts it in the backseat, at least in the trailer. 
right? At least up front. It says we're going to be fun up front. And if you are only interested in, you know, this story is about death and the afterworld, then I can see why maybe you didn't see a path into Onward. But Please if you want to cry, there. fear not. <laughs> yeah, you'll get there. Tay, what else did you like about this movie? Well, we've talked about big character stuff and world mm-hmm. building. And I want to point out a very, very small detail that I really liked, which at the very beginning of the movie, Ian is wearing his dad's sweatshirt and Barley accidentally snags the sweatshirt and rips a hole in it. And his mom says, oh, don't worry. I'll sew it when you get home from school. And when he gets home from school, Ian ends up sewing the sweatshirt himself. And this isn't a big deal at all. No one really says much about it. It's not meant to be planted for something bigger in, in the future. Mm-hmm. It is just something that Ian does because he can. And I just ha- have not seen a movie or even read in a book a male character sewing something. I have seen female characters sewing but never a male character. And I just really appreciated that. I appreciated that it was just a thing that he did and it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, that was a really great moment. It was a great characterization moment too. Yeah, and I love that it is just normalizing the fact that boys can do these things and be self-sufficient and they don't need their moms or their sisters or anything like that to mend a hole in a sweatshirt. Preach! All right, what else? Well, you just mentioned how that moment isn't supposed to plant any other moment. It's just there in itself. While I love that in that moment, I also love that this movie does plant a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I think that that is something that this movie does really, really well, especially in regards to magic and spells. Something that I think could be difficult with this movie is you're bringing in a whole other world and magic that the audience obviously doesn't know about. And the idea that there could be a magical spell for anything at any time, you know, it's sort of a a deus ex machina, cheap way out of any situation if there's a spell at the ready. So what the movie does is they introduce all the spells that the characters need way earlier than the characters actually need them. So whether that's a levitation spell or, you know, the lightning from above spell, All these little things are planted before, even to the point where Barley gets Cheetos, right? Little cheese puffs way at the beginning of the movie as like an offhand doesn't matter thing. He's eating them through the movie. It's a funny joke. And then when they need a boat, they make one of the Cheetos giant using another spell that had previously been planted. And then they use that to uh, to get down the river. Yeah, the thing that is so good about the way that this movie plants and pays off is that sometimes planting, like you're saying, can feel very bogged down, Mm -hmm. especially in a movie, as you say, that is introducing so much that is outside of our world. Yeah. But the way that they do it is that they make full plot sequences out of a plant. So that enlarging spell that you talk about, it's not just Barley being like, hey, here's this enlarging spell. Do you want to practice? It is when early on in the movie, they run out of gas and they 
attempt to make the gas tank bigger, to give themselves more gas. It goes wrong. Instead of enlarging the tank, Ian ends up shrinking barley, and there's this whole very fun sequence out of that. But that is the way that they plant this spell. And then again, they do this with the trust bridge. So Ian Mm -hmm. needs to make an invisible bridge across a death valley. And it's probably the tensest scene in the movie when he is crossing this valley. In the movie, in the history of cinema. (laughs) They tie a rope to him. So just in case the spell fails, he won't fall to his death. But halfway across the valley, the rope falls off. Ian doesn't notice. And we're just hoping that he gets to the end of this valley without noticing the the rope has fallen and losing faith in his spell. It's extremely tense. And it's so tense that you don't notice that it is a plant for the final climactic sequence. If I could just pull the curtain back for a second. In our outline... I wrote down that we were going to talk about planting and payoffs in magic and the way that magical spells were planted and then paid off. And even I didn't recognize that that was a plant because it was so amazing on its own. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Right. Because that emotion is invested in that spell. Mm-hmm. When Ian uses that spell later to defeat the dragon and in this sequence, this cl- climactic sequence, he's using every single spell. Yeah. And every single spell we have that emotion attached to it. It's associated with that already for us. Yes. So when he uses it, it brings that emotion right back to the surface for us. And he does it all in quick succession. So it's all of these spells that we have these associations with. And it makes this climactic sequence, which on its own is very tense and exciting. It just elevates it so much And it's so intense. It's the way that this movie brings in the emotion into the climactic fight instead of just having a great fight. Yes. Marvel, take notes. Yes, shout out. (laughs) Shout it out. The point of having a climactic fight is not just that it's a fight, it's also the emotional climax of the movie. And bringing in the things that the characters learned over the course of the movie, it's what makes it so cool. Can we talk a little bit about the quest and the way that this movie is structured around a quest? Yes. I love this as a formatting device. I love it as a structuring device. It is a really simple device, right? They need to get a thing. They need to find the map. They need to get the map. They need to go to the place. Thing one, thing two, here are the different things they need. They end up at the final place. Climactic battle, done. We're all familiar with quests, so it's very straightforward. Yeah, And because this is such a well-known theme, it's just very fun to see them, you know, go off on their, on the road to the mountain that they have to go to, to the end goal. They have to go on the road to the quest and they're beset by obstacles and foes and we're used to all of this. And each individual thing is very fun. And I love that they have to find two different things, right? It's not just the Phoenix gem. It's also the Manticore's sword. And the boys don't even know that. They don't have to do that. Which means that the mom gets in on the questing a little bit. We haven't talked about the mom that much. But the mom is great in this movie. She also has character moments that are really fun. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about her a little more later. It makes me feel like we're in good hands with the movie. Because there is a clear narrative propulsion. Mm -hmm. And I think that as you get into the latter half of this movie that narrative propulsion hits nitro. 
it just goes all the way to overdrive because there is a moment about 40 minutes into this movie where the movie goes from good to great. And I want to talk about that maybe as our last big like, because to me, this is really why the movie is so good. It's the whole, I mean, I want to say it's the final sequence, but the final sequence is the final half of the movie. Right. I agree with that. It just, it builds and builds. And I think part of what we were talking about planting and payoff is the reason why the second half just really sings. The planting early in the movie is good. It's enjoyable and Mm -hmm. we really like it. But the real delight is the payoff. And we feel like we have invested in this movie. It's it's very satisfying. Mm -hmm. It's almost kind of the feeling of having an inside joke. You can tell that the first half of the movie has done so much good work because the second half is so good. Because we just get more and more invested and more aligned with these characters and their journey. Absolutely. And I want to stick in the first half for just a second, because as I understand story structure from the way that you've described it to me, there is a moment in the first half of the second act, which is basically the second quarter of the movie, right? The 25% part to the 50% part, which is called the fun and game section, right? Or the promise of the payoff. Is that about right? Yeah, this is the save the cat structure that we really went into in The Good Dinosaur. So the promise of the premise section, as I understand it, is the premise of the movie, which is this suburban fantasy world, right? Fantasy tied with modern day technology. You play around with and you see what's really fun about this about this premise. I think this is a little bit what we were talking about before, that the premise of this movie is so strong, right? What happens if in a magical world they discover electricity? What happens? What happens if all the stuff that wizards can do, it turns out that like technology can also kind of do. And we stick in this section, in the promise of the premise section, for a while. And it's really fun, right? That is where a lot of the fun of the movie comes in. And it's easy to feel like that's going to be the entire movie. Being in the section of two brothers who live in the fantasy world, who are kind of learning to be a wizard and it's fun and it's funny and it's very good at both of those things. But that's kind of all it is. It has a body, but maybe no heart to it. It has legs, but no heart. Uh, (laughs) That was the one that was God. So this is this is why I need you. So. An hour into the movie, there's this bridge scene. And all of a sudden, after the promise of the premise, I'm gripping your arm, right? Like fingernail marks in your Mm -hmm. arm. So, so tense. I'm being a little extra when I say it's the tensest scene in cinema history. But like... But you were really gripping my arm. (laughs) And I've seen the movie before. He's the main character. He's not going to fall in with 40 (laughs) minutes left into the bottomless pit. But I was terrified. And of course, that bridge scene is terrifying because he's walking over a valley of death. But it's also terrifying because it has the layer of us knowing that this spell only works if Ian believes in himself. Mm -hmm. And we've seen for the first half of the movie that that's something he has a really difficult time doing. We know how fragile his belief in himself is. And so we know how fragile this spell is and how how if he sees that the rope is gone, he will fall. Oh, my God. It's so 
chills. <laughs> when life and death stakes are tied to character stakes, it really works. <laughs> <laughs> so then they get back into Guinevere, which is Barley's van, and they keep driving to where the ravens are pointing to, driving to the final destination of the quest until the road ends. And they need to block the road because the cops are chasing them. And I mean, again, like there's a cop chase in this movie. Guys, <laughs> did anyone see this movie? The cops are chasing them. There's a boulder over the cliff. They need the boulder to fall down. And this is the point where the spell that had been planted earlier, the lightning from above spell, Ian's going to need to pay that off. He'll use the lightning to blast down the boulder and block the cops. And he tries it and it doesn't work. And that means that they're out of options. There's nothing they're going to do. And Barley puts a rock on Guinevere's accelerator. And we know that Guinevere, the van, is the one thing he truly loves. It is the one thing that he says he will tell his dad about mm -hmm. when his dad fully returns. It's the one thing he is proudest of. It is the one thing that he can point to to say, I am not a screw up. Look what I did. Look what I made. I made this van. I did it myself. It's all he has. And he puts in the music and the music plays and he puts the rock down and Guinevere drives off and, you know, goes off a jump and knocks the boulder down and sacrifices herself. And I know I'm personifying this van, but Guys, it deserves it. But it's intentional. It. They, there's a unicorn painted on the side. It's a Flight and, of the Valkyries yeah. moment. Like, the music swells. Barley wipes away a tear. It is a beautiful, touching, it's emotional really yeah. moment. And funny at the same time. I mean, it's, it's funny the way that they personify this van. At one point, the van, the, one of the tires loses air. And so it looks like it's, it's a horse galloping. Oh. It's it's very clever and it is so moving because it's tied to this character and it's payoff. And it brings us back to Barley because, again, Barley doesn't waste a second. He has just made what we know is the biggest sacrifice he could make and he just keeps on going on. And a big part of the reason he does this is, yes, it's it's their only option but he doesn't want Ian to feel like he's failed. Yeah. And so he won't let Ian take on that feeling of telling himself that he's the reason that they couldn't see their dad. Mm -hmm. And then they continue on. They follow the ravens. They get to the water. Ian starts to use his magic to maneuver them through the rest of their quest. Right? There's some really emotional moments as they're talking together. We notice that Ian and Barley's relationship has stopped to be one where they are, you know, maybe a little bit of oil and water in the beginning, right? That Ian is sentimental and wants to talk to his dad and Barley's sort of big and buff and energetic and kind of a, a doofus. But Ian's got his stuff together and, and they don't quite mesh at the beginning of the movie. And then by this point, they're really meshing and those characters are really bonding. They get to the end of the river they get through what they call the gauntlet with all of the all of the booby traps and, you know, the real like perilous Indiana Jones moment. Right. You know, they're 
There's a payoff for a gelatinous blob that Barley's planted mm-hmm. a couple of times. There's a moment literally where a door is closing and they reach under the door to grab the hat as Indiana Jones does, except it's not the hat. It's their father's legs, <laughs> which, of course, is also their whole father. This movie is wild. There is a lot. <laughs> so much goes on. And they get to the end of this gauntlet and then... They think that there is nothing there. They think they've reached the end of the quest and they're just back in town. They're back at the high school and nothing's there and they're giving up. And then they realize that actually they can find the gem and it's, you know, it pays off a bunch of things that were planted right at the beginning of the movie. And then there's a giant stone dragon fight. <laughs> and this is the last 40 minutes of the movie as as I've just described them. And it is really thrilling and exciting the entire time yeah and it feels like nothing in the movie is wasted there's so much that happens there's so many fun plot beats and fun jokes everything Mm -hmm. is paid off it just feels so intentional and thoughtful Mm -hmm. yeah every single thing even when the manticore when we expect something scary and it turns out to look silly When the manticore turns out to look silly, even that sort of pays off when the stone dragon is assembling itself and it's pulling up all this rebar and concrete and brick. And then it pulls off the school's mascot painting off the side of the building and has a giant cartoonish dragon face. Yeah, love it. And of course, you get to the end of the movie after all of this excitement and you have these characters who at this point you truly love and... They have to decide which one of them gets to spend the moment with their father. Is it Ian who has never met their father before? Who this would be his only opportunity to spend any time with his father. And it's all he's ever really wanted is to meet his dad. Or is it Barley who only has four memories of his dad and just wants to say one final goodbye. And both of them need it so much. And both of them want to give the other what they need so much. And it turns out that Ian is the one who sacrifices. Ian slays the dragon. Barley sees his dad. And then the movie ends. And it's beautiful and exhilarating and emotional it's, it's devastating that Ian has to sacrifice the moment of seeing his dad because this is the thing that he has wanted the whole movie. But we've talked about the difference between what a character needs and what a character wants. Mm-hmm. And he needs to believe in himself. Mm-hmm. And we see him finally do that in this climactic battle with the dragon. And the reason that he has learned to believe in himself is because of Barley, because he's had this father figure supporting him and encouraging him and teaching him the whole journey. There's a moment early in the movie where Ian makes lists. Ian, we know that's something he does. He's a list maker, and he makes a list of the things he wants to do in his one day with his dad. And it's things like play catch, learn to drive, have a heart to heart, Right, share my life with him. There's a moment at the end of the movie, after, you know, after it seems like all is lost, that Ian looks down that list and realizes that 
Barley taught him to drive, that Barley's the one he played catch with, that Barley's the one that he shares laughs with, that Barley's the one that he has shared his life with. That is what gives him the strength and the confidence to sacrifice the moment with his dad because he had a father figure in Barley. That moment where he checks off that list is what gutted me the first Mm -hmm. time we saw it in theaters. Just gutted me. There was another moment that did it this time, which is after he slayed the dragon. He's in a pile of rubble, right? And he sort of tries to get out of it, but he he knows he can't, right? There's not enough time left. And he looks through a hole in the rubble to see Barley and his dad, to see his dad materialize and spend a few moments with Barley. And he's looking through this hole and all of a sudden he slips on the rubble. The seconds he gets to look at his dad, they disappear because all of a sudden he can't see the hole anymore. And by the time he gets back to a different hole, his dad is glowing and disintegrating and he doesn't even get to look. He just it it just doesn't he doesn't get that at the end. And oh, man, I just feel for Ian. I feel for him so bad. Yeah, it's it's gutting. I love the way that they deal with that idea of loss, Mm -hmm. where for Ian, there will always be that relationship missing for him. And he will always wish that his father was still alive Mm -hmm. and he never gets to have his father. And that is something that is gutting. Mm -hmm. But I also like this message that's Almost a found family message, although it's not because Barley and Ian are siblings. But this idea that a family doesn't have to be a traditional mother, father, suburban home. But those relationships and those supportive, loving connections can be found in different places. Yeah. I do think this brings up a slight nitpick I have with this movie. And truly... I don't have any real dislikes, any real critiques, but I've got, I think there are a few things that we should talk about that are just kind of worth saying. And that brings me to one of them, which is this is a movie about brothers and it's a movie about how Barley, the older brother, raises and has supported Ian, the little brother. But like, mom seems great. (laughs) Can we get some justice for mom up in here? Like mom gets shafted a little bit. Yeah, the real dads are big brothers, but actually... But like, the, again, the mom, like, <laughs> yeah. she, not only does she go get the giant sword <laughs> that they need to kill the stone dragon, yada yada, but also, like, she's the one who is doing everything for them. We know that she's the center of that family, and I just want to shout her out. You know, it's a movie about brothers, and... I do think that this, it's validating to hear that you think that this is an important movie. And maybe it just is because the movie is not just for older brothers, it's for older siblings. Mm -hmm. But I do kind of think that this movie is going to hit hardest for older, like people in their 20s who are the eldest children and have (laughs) younger siblings. It's just going to hit hardest for us. So maybe that's another reason why. But even though it's about the eldest sibling and the relationship between siblings, like let's have some justice for mom in here also. Yeah. Not much thanks for mom from Ian. What about the stepdad? What about thanks for the stepdad? Uh, Stepdad's a cop. Yeah. (laughs) 
and doesn't seem that good. He seems like he is not really understanding what's going on and pretty judgy. He doesn't kind of empath- mean. He doesn't empathize with the kids at all. Yeah. At one point, he's even he gets off the phone with the mom and like is like grumble, grumble, uh, those kids. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, are we supposed to like this guy? I don't think so. I don't think we're supposed to like him. No. He's also like utterly graceless. One thing I really enjoyed about the movie is along the lines of the world building is that their house is built for elves and his stuff is built for centaurs because he's a centaur and his whole back half the horse half just like bumps into things and breaks their chairs and messes things up and uh that's what cops do is they break things and they mess things up so i thought that was really an accurate portrayal all right what about car crash watch car crash watch (laughs) tay there is a car crash in this movie, sort of. Not not like a full-on T-bone, but some cars are jostling. There's a car chase, and, you know, some cars get into a little bit. A lot of cars crash, though not into each other. I mean, we talked about Guinevere having this huge, epic... Oh, that is true. ...crash scene. The yeah. the mom and Magicor crash their car. Oh, wow. Yeah, a lot of car crashes. Okay, a lot of car crashes. <laughs> A lot of car crashes. But there was something I appreciated in the big car chase scene. Again, there are car chase scenes in this movie, guys. It's a great movie. This movie has everything. (laughs) But the car crash, the car chase scene is not, you know, one guy trying to get away from the bad guy who's chasing him and weaving in and out of traffic and all that. It's two things. It's a kid. It's a 16-year-old kid trying to merge onto a highway. And then it's a 16 year old kid trying to navigate traffic to exit the highway on the other side, trying to switch lanes. That's the whole car chase. The whole car sequence is him on ramping into the right side and needing to exit off the left side of a busy highway. And they're trying also to get being across. attacked by pixies. Yeah, okay, sure, there's a motorcycle (laughs) gang full of little flying pixies. That's fair. I know it's chaotic. It's very fun. I liked it. But, like, that's the fundamental bones of where the car is from and needs to go. Yeah, much of the drama does come from Ian not knowing how to merge. Exactly. And I thought that it just right-sized the stakes, right? You can have, you know, world-ending stakes, And for everyone, world-ending stakes are world-ending stakes. But if your characters, if you know your characters enough to know what they consider to be world-ending stakes, you feel those stakes Mm -hmm. at lower events. And that's just as fun. We don't need this to be the most important car chase life or death thing ever. We can just have Ian, a 16-year-old who doesn't know how to drive, needs to merge onto a highway. Right. And that's the highest stakes. And anyone under 15 or 16 thinks, yes, driving does seem very scary. And anyone over 15 or 16 thinks, yes, it was terrifying to learn how to merge onto the highway for the yeah, first time. Yeah, we all time. get it. Yeah. Busy highway, there are trucks coming in that right lane, like, for sure. It is something wonderfully relatable in this fantasy movie. The stakes come from something that we in our world can relate to. Yeah, absolutely. So we've kind of already talked about the theme a little bit, but let's get more into that. Yeah, 
Well, I think there are a couple different ideas and themes that are sort of thrown throughout the movie. And, you know, if I had one one real critique, it's that it's a little hard to pull together one significant theme. And I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. I think that this movie brings up a number of different ideas and that can be okay. It doesn't need to say one specific thing. It can live with this multitude of ideas, but I am not sure I felt that there was one specific theme, but I will talk about the ones that I saw, okay? The one that I like most is the theme between Ian and Barley. As I have thought of it, it's that older brothers, shout out to me, are the real dads. Shout out to my dad. He's great. He's doing great. But like, let's have some older brother appreciation. Always necessary. The way that we grow up with the people we trust, that that's who family is, that you can, I don't know, help raise your siblings, give them someone to love, to be around that being part of a family means being supportive to the eternal degree. I think that there is a really wonderful theme there about the relationship between brothers. I also think there are themes, I don't even want to call them themes, I'll call them lessons. I think there are lessons that the magical parts of the the movie talk about. When Barley is teaching Ian to do magic, there are a number of things that he's trying to pass on. Things like be resourceful, right? Use what's around you. Focus. Those are all things that Ian needs to do to get the spells to work. And he needs to get the spells to work to advance the plot, to finish the quest, to defeat the stone monster, to bring his dad back. Those are the things our protagonist needs to learn through the movie. I don't necessarily feel like those coalesce into one theme as opposed to being these broader lessons. Look, I like those lessons a lot. Be resourceful. Great. Believe in yourself. Amazing. I guess I would have liked something that flowed through the movie that stemmed from the premise all the way to the conclusion. And I'm not sure that I felt that there was that. What do you think about that, though? Yeah, uh, I felt the same way. I felt that especially the first time that I was watching it and then I was kind of trying to pay more attention to it the second time. So it does feel like the there is that major theme of the brother relationship and the value in sibling relationships. And then there is the theme that comes from magic, which as we're introduced to it in the very beginning opening scene of the movie, it is that the world was once filled with magic and then technology came and magic faded because people got lazy. It was easier to use technology than it was to use magic. The word they keep using is simple, right? It was simpler to use technology than it was to use magic. Yeah, so we hear that in the opening sequence and we hear it again in the letter that the dad writes to Barley and Ian when he's explaining his spell. And I just, I want to play that clip right here. Long ago, the world was full of wonder. It was adventurous. Exciting. And best of all, there was magic. Oh, Bastia! 
And that magic helped all in need. Flame Infernar! But it wasn't easy to master. And so the world found a simpler way to get by. I call it the light bulb. Tis so easy. <laughs> Over time, magic faded away. So here on the face of it, these themes do not mesh. This theme of being supported and loved and appreciating family members and then also how magic fades when there are simpler options. The thing about this that's really interesting is that the way that this concept and theme about magic is introduced is not the same as the way that it pays off, which is notable in this movie that where we've been talking about how good it is and how intentional it is about its planting and payoff. Yeah. It plants this idea that people have essentially gotten lazy because of the ease of technology. Major Wally vibes here. Mm-hmm. But what we see in the interactions that Barley and Ian have with the people on their quest, with the Manticore who has been worn down by taxes and investors and getting sued, is that she's been worn down by this life in a way that she's not allowed to access or embrace or be who she truly is. Declawed. Yes. <laughs> Um, we see with the pixies, they, they don't even realize that they can fly. Mm-hmm. Barley tells them that they should be able to fly and they don't believe him. It is less about all of these magical creatures being lazy and more about them existing in a society that has pushed against magic, has actively pushed them away from who they are to the point where they're no longer able to believe in their own strength and self-sufficiency and magic. I think that if the planting of this idea matched the payoff better, we would feel like this movie and the theme of this movie is more cohesive. If we get the setup that it's not laziness that has pushed people away from their magic, which honestly feels like a little antagonistic of a stance for the movie to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it makes sense in this fantasy world. It makes sense that magic is really difficult to do and technology makes it easy and you don't want to cast a spell every time when you could just turn a light on. That makes a lot of logical sense, but it doesn't necessarily resonate for us in our world. Mm-hmm. We know, I think, instinctively that it's not laziness that has worn down the magic in us or maybe i shouldn't speak globally but this is how i feel mm-hmm. i think it's it's much more that people feel burned out in this society people feel worn down by all of the noise and the busyness and the pressures of modern life and i think that if it was more about being able to have the support and encouragement from your support system and then the belief internally 
to be able to find a way to live that is truer and freer and more powerful than what we are originally taught, I feel like that would be more resonant both to a modern day viewer in our world and also to the other themes in this movie. Yeah, that's really, that's a great point. I just, I can't help but wish that that letter from the dad, instead of saying magic faded because technology was simpler, if he said something about how magic faded because people lost the belief in magic and the belief in themselves, and his Uh. hope, the dad's hope, is that he can show Ian and Barley that the world is still full of wonder and that they are too. I just feel like setting it up as rediscovering magic means believing in yourself Mm -hmm. and the job of the parent or the family member or loved one is to help someone believe in themselves and guide them towards that feeling so that they can find that magic. To do the supportive work that Barley's been doing. Mm -hmm. And that would turn what feels like a lesson but not a theme in you have to believe in yourself for magic to work, that would turn it into this wonderful cumulative theme through the movie, from premise to conclusion. Right, exactly. And we see this character, Barley, who in our in the movie is the character who most believes in magic. He believes mm-hmm. in magic more than anyone else. Fully. He helps Ian discover his magic. And if in the very opening of the movie we've had it set up, as the tie between magic means believing in yourself. Mm -hmm. Then when we see Barley guiding and teaching Ian magic, we know that this means that he is helping Ian to believe in himself. Yeah. And that is what ends up happening at the end. Barley does help Ian believe in himself. And there are things like you're saying, one of the lessons of magic is you have to believe in yourself. You have Mm -hmm. to believe that you can do magic. And so all of that is there. It's just, it comes too late. We don't hear it early enough for it to be a resonant theme throughout the whole movie. It's a theme for the characters in this world, but it's not the theme of the world Mm -hmm. itself, Mm -hmm. which it could be. And again, like, This is the level that we are thinking about this movie, that having wonderful characters and relationships and and themes and meaningful themes between them is great, but you could also do what Pixar has done so wonderfully, which is build worlds around a theme. And Mm -hmm. they, they mostly do that, but they do miss it in this particular way, in a way that, as you just described, they could build the premise of the movie, right? Why are we making this movie in a fantasy world, right? In a modern fantasy world. Why is this the correct setting to tell this story? Right, yes. If they had tied them together in that way, it's it's impeccable. And watching it, it almost feels like they were kind of asking themselves that mm-hmm. question. And then they yeah. finally got it at the end. They were like, Magic means believing in yourself. And and all they needed to do really was to go back to the beginning mm-hmm. and, and weave that in because it all really is there. It's not a huge change to really just make that the reason that magic faded and the yeah. way to bring magic back. That is so true. 
I feel like if they made that change, they would have had this this theme throughout. And what they would have lost is, you know, a little bit of the common sense of the world. Like I liked as someone who thinks about the evolution of technology and the way that that influences society and how people behave and the labor market and the world as we see it. I liked that science and magic worked hand in hand. And then at some point, science and technology eclipsed magic. And I like the idea that people tended towards simple things. I don't necessarily love the idea that it's laziness as opposed to efficiency, because I think that those things have sort of a fine line between them. I think that's true. And and I feel like there is some laziness implied, mm-hmm. but it is a pretty big difference when you're comparing it to the way that this movie treats the movement towards simplicity versus the way that Wally does treat it. Exactly. Wally certainly thinks that technology makes you totally lazy and not want to do anything, right? That ease of use makes you garbage. Mm-hmm which is thematic for that movie. And I think that that is really uh, unthoughtful and overstated, as we've talked about. I think that what this movie's talking about is less technology makes you lazy and just, of course you're going to do the easy thing. We all do the thing that's slightly easier all the time. And does that make the world a little less magical? Sure. But while I think this movie is thoughtful about what would have happened in a world that had magic and then also gained technology... But the reason I say this is that while I appreciate the thoughtfulness this movie has about the history of technology, if it didn't have that and if it instead talked about magic disappearing from the world for thematic reasons, I would have one tiny nitpick and that would be a very pedantic, (laughs) dumb nitpick that only I would have. But thematically, it would be so much better. That was a long story it, it to get to. It doesn't have to sacrifice one or the other. I think for sure. for simplicity's sake, uh, it it could. It could be faster. But also to say technology came and replaced magic to the point where people many, many years later have forgotten mm. that they have magic in themselves. They don't need that they have stopped believing in their own abilities and self-sufficiency because they've come to rely on technology and they need someone to remind them the power that they really have. It wasn't the the technology that supplanted magic. It was that the technology made it so that the generational knowledge got interrupted. Mm-hmm. Shout out to generational knowledge. <laughs> Okay, so I mean, I I think that the movie would be stronger if they tied in the setting to the theme and they made that feel more cohesive. That being said, I loved the movie. I, I was moved to tears twice now and it works. It's really, really good. It's so good. Oh, I, lo- I truly love this movie. Me too. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I was I was worried watching it the second time that because I knew that there's almost a sleight of hand where we think that Ian, that the relationship that matters most is the relationship with Ian and his dad. And it's revealed at the end that actually the relationship that matters most was Ian and Barley and that we've seen this relationship grow and develop 
And there's such an impact in seeing that reveal and feeling that reveal alongside Ian. And I was worried that the second time, because I already knew that, it wouldn't have the same emotional resonance. But it did. It's really a twist the first time you see the movie. You are led to believe so thoroughly that this movie is about Ian meeting his dad, Ian meeting his dad, Ian meeting his dad. That's all Ian wants. It's the whole plot and purpose of the movie. And you see the Ian and Barley stuff through the movie, but it isn't until the end where it really hits you. And I know I was watching for that this time, Mm -hmm. but because they are so committed to this movie being about Ian and his dad and the Ian and Barley stuff from the very beginning is always slightly on the back burner, right? It's slightly in the background. And even though Barley is so supportive and so loving and so clearly a father figure, which when you've seen the movie once, you explicitly know it still gets you. The the turn still gets you. But it's not even the twist. It doesn't have to rely on the twist. That's what I felt watching this time is that the relationship that they build between Barley and Ian is so genuine and so thoughtful, so well-paced, so well-escalated. It's so good that even if you're watching it for that, even if there's no surprise at the end, it's so strong that you still feel the emotional impact. And I want to stick on that for a second because it is the relationship that they build between Barley and Ian. It's not that Barley and Ian have this relationship at the beginning of the movie. Again, at the beginning of the movie, yes, Barley is so warm and supportive, but Ian doesn't really respect Barley, Mm -hmm. right? And Barley doesn't really respect Ian, right? He doesn't respect Ian on his own terms, even though he is overjoyed by Ian's successes. So the movie is them building a relationship to the point where not only the audience, but also Ian himself realizes for the first time what an impact Barley has had on him. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's it's beautiful to feel it alongside Ian, but it's also beautiful to watch it again and to watch Ian on the journey of realizing the re- relationship he has and learning to appreciate that and love Barley. Man, I uh, take. Do you want to watch this movie again? <laughs> like, I would just start it right back up right now. Ugh, I won't make you answer that. I think this is a good a place to stop as any. Yep. We loved it. Josh, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching Pete Doctor's Soul. So close to the end. My goodness. I know. <laughs> getting into the end of 2020. Well, thank you for listening. And the week after that, we will be getting to Luca, which just came out a few weeks ago. We know that maybe you've been waiting on that podcast. That will be coming Waiting right. Bated breath. Yeah, of course. That's <laughs> streaming on Disney Plus right now. Our episode on that will come out in a few weeks. Be patient with us. We chill. <laughs> we just chilling. We having a good time. We watching movies. It's great. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, honestly, I don't know. I'm glad you enjoyed it. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.